welcome to Noisy Fulfillment, a Desperate Housewives rewatch podcast where we take you back in time episode by episode of ABC's Desperate Housewives. If you love what we're doing and would like to support us further than just as a listener, which we absolutely thank you for, you can really help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star review and subscribing to this podcast. That really helps people to find us because analytics equals search results. We'll also read it on the air, so if you love to hear stuff you've written on the air, here's your chance. Also, you can become a patron by contributing at any monetary level by going to anchor.fm slash noisyfulfillment. You can also buy us a virtual coffee by tipping us in our virtual tip jar at ko-fi.com slash noisyfulfillment. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash noisyfulfillment where you can comment on stuff, react to stuff, and also message us. You can also email us at noisyfulfillment at gmail.com. Amanda Baum, how are you this morning? Dr. Warren, I am <laughs> fabulous. How are you? It's been a minute. It has been a minute, but you know what? That's life, man. Yeah. Did you get some new art behind you? I feel like the that is beautiful. That is you. Guys, what you're not seeing because you're hearing <laughs> is right. this beautiful piece of art behind Dr. Warren. Mm. It is a soup. It looks like a Campbell soup can, but it is Tiffany. It is beautiful Tiffany blue at the top. And then it, I can't even, it's beautiful. I feel like we need an Instagram so that we can like put up a picture of things like this when these things happen. I know we need a lot of things, but yes, it is uh, in the style of Andy Warhol. And actually that kind of leads uh, in one of our reviews that I'm going to read this morning. We've been noted as having a lack of visual presence. So uh, that might be something that we have to discuss as we move forward. But nonetheless, we have to give the people we have to give the people what they want. I agree, all five of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Plus the oh, like right. two or three that are like that are just like silent, lurking, and like not not in it enough to do a review, but like still in it enough to keep coming back whenever we sporadically drop an episode. Right, we're like a pop up. And we know yeah. that pop-ups are an effective marketing campaign, right? They are. I will tell you all, all seven of you that are listening, the sporadic nature of our episode drop is not Dr. Rachel Warren's fault. It is my fault because I started a new job, have all these new things going on, and have been all over God's green earth doing all kinds of random things over the course of the past year. And so... Like, I cannot be nailed down to doing an episode. So it is 100% my fault. If you are like, why aren't these episodes being dropped regularly? Please do not blame Rachel Warren. Please, Amanda Baum is the person you directly need to blame for that. Well, Dr. Warren's rebuttal to that is that I really don't believe in blame or fault. Things just happen and then we move on because I'm not sure. Yeah, I just don't think any because it's not. There's plenty of times that I'm like, yeah, you know what I what else I want to do on a Sunday morning? Drink and not podcast because maybe I had too many. But what if we did drink and podcast at the same time? I feel like when we've done that, it's been effective. I frequently do that. I just don't overserve myself in the hour that we're podcasting. Uh, sure. But if I'm on my second hour, we shouldn't go into podcasting. Then I'm just, I feel like I'm pretty, pretty worthless in terms of my insightful nature. But nonetheless, we are here to discuss episode 19, season one, episode 19, Live Alone and Like It. And my question for you, Amanda Baum, is have you ever lived alone and did you like it? I lived alone. So as you may or may not know, I had a practice marriage. Mm-hmm. So I lived alone when my practice marriage was dissolved. Okay. 
But before that, like I went straight from high school to the dorms and had an awesome roommate and then moved into a sorority house and had, you know, 6,000 roommates. And then went straight from that to another roommate situation when I was in grad school. Like I always had roommates and then moved from a house with four roommates into a place with my former spouse, Mm -hmm. if we can call him that. And then when we split up, I stayed in our townhouse that we owned until I moved in with Joe, the current husband, when we got married. So I did live alone. I liked it at first. And then it was a little bit lonely. But yeah, I mean, it was fine. How about you? So I moved out of my mom's house into my first dorm, which was at Northern uh, with my best friend. And I just didn't like Northern, so I didn't stay very long. So then ironically, she ended up living alone. I don't know if she liked it, but (laughs) nonetheless, I then moved home and then I stayed home for two years. And then I moved out again when I went to Eastern and I lived with three women. So I wasn't alone then. The next apartment I had, I lived with three roommates I left in the middle of the night. It was almost like I don't mean to make light of people escaping bad situations, but I escaped a pretty bad situation uh, where over spring break, the night before spring break, I think it was, my best friend Ashton and I packed up all my shit and moved it into uh, her apartment for the rest of the semester of my senior year. So just, it wasn't very long, but when I got back from spring break and I didn't go back to my apartment, I didn't even tell the three people. I told, that that was like the, maybe the first situation of ghosting someone is I just moved out and didn't tell anybody. Before Um, there was an actual word for it. (laughs) Yes. So I didn't coin the term, but I mean, I was, I was a pioneer in that movement. So I didn't live alone then. The first time I lived alone was when I moved to Byron, Illinois. I was teaching in Freeport and I couldn't afford to live in Freeport. So I got an apartment in Byron, which was like 45 minutes away. That was attached to the bar that I worked at on the weekends because first year teaching did not pay enough to have my own apartment. And I loved my apartment. It was not the nicest apartment I'd ever lived in because I lived in multiple apartments that were super nice, but it was the first apartment that was mine, all mine. And I didn't have to consult anybody with what I was doing with anything. I am a little bit phobic about there being dishes in a sink. I think I Mm -hmm. associate dishes in a sink with divorce. It's a whole thing that somebody's going to leave the dishes in the sink and eventually you're going to hate them so much that you'll divorce them. Okay, I've got a whole Brie vibe going on there. But I did like it. I really did because I didn't have to consult anybody. If I wanted to take a shower at three in the morning, that was fine. Oh, my second round of roommates, they used to time my showers and tell me that I was taking too long of showers and I didn't need to shave every day. Whoa, calm down. Not your business, roommates. And also, you know, Rachel, we know you have really long hair, so it takes longer for you to be in the shower, but you know, you just don't have to shave every day. And like the most invasive (laughs) nonsense I've ever heard in my life. I couldn't believe I was having this conversation with anybody about what I shave and how I shave it and how long it takes. Okay. So yes, I liked it. I liked it just fine. I only lived there, I think six months and then I got engaged and I got married. So, you know, it's transitional, but I did like it. And again, it wasn't the nicest apartment I've ever lived in. It wasn't the, you know, obviously I've been married and have had multiple houses since then, but there was something incredibly special about living alone and liking it. However, I can understand if you live alone and don't like it and that that would be a prison of its own. 
as I'm like listening to you reflect on your experience, I mean, this is a long time ago. So this would have been like 2005, I think. So that's, you know, my, I, I don't remember things very well, yeah. but I will say that I do remember like, so we had a three bedroom townhouse and one of the bedrooms I wanted to use for a craft room because I love to knit. I love to, you know, do what I, I get make shititis and just want to like make a bunch <laughs> of stuff. Like if you could see, if you could see my craft room, you'd the, or the room that I'm in right now, my office slash craft room, you'd be like, oh yeah, she, that girl needs a space for all that stuff. We but I remember one. do what? We covered that in episode one. You're half, yeah, yeah. half knitted. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Like, look at this pile, Rachel. Do you see this pile of stuff up on top of there? Again, this yes. is why people want visuals and we're getting to that today. But yes, yeah. I see that pile yeah. of half knit. Half knitted shit. So anyway, <laughs> I, I, I did, that should be the name of my own podcast, half knitted shit. But wait um, for that spinoff anytime. <laughs> I would have to have the time to do it. And there just isn't that. So my first declaration of independence was painting my craft room hot pink with an ooh. orange accent wall like hot oh, like punch my daughter is so there for that i gotta oh if she was awake i would walk into the next room and show you those colors because it's peptal bismol puke pink yeah mine wasn't that but mine was like when that punch pink and that bright orange together were like it i went nice. for it i went for it in that room and anything that were those colors i grabbed the other thing that was my declaration of independence i lost a kitchenaid mixer in my <gasps> divorce to somebody who like couldn't make toast, but like because his aunt bought the mixer for us for the wedding, like he needed that mixer, right? Like, like literally the judge was like, and I understand like a mixer needs to change hands here. The judge was like, this is the dumbest shit I've ever heard in a divorce hearing. Although I'm sure it's not. It like, wasn't. I know I'm sure it wasn't. But he was, you know what? I appreciate it was a he judge. Yeah, it was a I'm, he judge who was like, literally like he had the furrowed brow in the hands. He was like, I understand like a mixer needs to change hands. So I, really I literally appreciate had to that pull- tone. I appreciate his tone. That I did too. Most ridiculous. Probably didn't even know which of you was fighting over it, but no, just making. He probably it clear assumed that- it was the reverse. He probably assumed oh, it was well, the reverse. Like I needed the mixer. Nonetheless, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I, I wasn't there, but I wish I could. I guess I put my benevolent sexism spin on this. Is that I hope that it was just a matter of I don't care who wants this. Just realize the time and resources that it's taking for me to weigh in on your mixer issue. Yeah. Exactly that. Exactly that. So, but I gave him that boring, beautiful white Ooh. KitchenAid mixer and then promptly went out and bought a pink one for myself. Not hot pink, like it was more like a ballerina pink. And if you have a KitchenAid mixer, you know that that ballerina pink mixer is still around and will never die. So I kind of wish I would have chosen red or blue, but <laughs> here we are with our pink mixer that I was my declaration of independence. So. If, if you were in my tribe at that point in my life, when you were going through that, that would have been the first thing that the tribe brought you is like, <laughs> and because it comes to mind, uh, somebody who needed a couch after she was, mm-hmm. when she was going through her transition. And it was, could you please buy another couch so I could just have your couch? I'm like, no, let's just go buy you a couch. And, mm-hmm. you know, Enjoy your new life with your new couch. You don't need my hand-me-down crap to go into, you know, this new space where you're empowering yourself and taking back your agency. But anyway, sorry, we're not even into the episode yet, but I love this. I love this connection. Yes, I've missed this dialogue. So interestingly enough, the background on the title, like I did a little bit of a deep dive. You'd be so proud on the things I did a deep dive on for this episode. And it was the title of a book that was first. Did you already know this? Did you do the same deep dive? No. 
Oh, okay. So it. it Live Alone and Like It was the title of a book written by Marjorie Hillis in 1936. And she was an editor of Vogue. And it was a guide to being a single woman. And the piece that I found to describe it said, in this witty, engaging guide, a renowned Vogue editor takes readers through the fundamentals of living alone by showing them how to create a welcoming environment and cultivate home-friendly hobbies for no woman can accept an invitation every night without coming to grief. So like, I feel like you lived that in your Mm. independence in your first place. And I maybe did a little bit, but I think that that is the opposite of what this episode is like trying to go through. I just thought it was interesting. I want to read that now. I think now we we have a spinoff book club for the things that we're going to read because it was Industrial Housewives or alluded to. There's a spinoff going to these shows that we haven't seen because they were Stephen Sondheim songs that came from that. And didn't we want to make the food, right? That we were Mm, going to make all these foods. Oh my gosh. We have a lot of work to do. Man, I'm exhausted just thinking about it. I'm pretty tired, but also exhilarated. Don't mean to take away from the writer and director. Um, we have we have a female team again, written by Jenna Bands and directed by Arlene Sanford. Have seen Arlene Sanford multiple times. First aired April 17th, 2005. And we have some new reviews that we need to read because we promised. All right. I'm reminded mm-hmm. if you give us five stars, you can say anything you want. But nothing too grating, I have to say. So five stars, fun podcast by A-A-A-A-R-Y-E, which I'm going to pronounce as Airy. Okay. I love this podcast. I listen to it while I'm at work. I love hearing how people listen to podcasts and how they live with their podcasts. Sorry, I had to do that. I am an absolute desperate stan. I could almost recite some episodes. It's awesome to see how far Amanda has come. She was so shy in the beginning and she's completely broken out of her shell now. I was behind, but I just caught up to real time and there hasn't been an episode for two months. I'm so sorry. That's my fault. You don't need to apologize. It's my fault. (laughs) No, I'm sorry. We lived our lives. Hopefully you guys release another one soon. This is weird, but would you ever release a photo of you two? I like to put a face to the voice. Haha. Also, I totally agree with the first review. I don't think I've ever heard you stutter, Rachel. I think you actually speak quite naturally and I enjoy listening to you both. I do not know how to take a compliment, but thank you for that feedback. That was good. Um, You did a good job there. You did a good job there. Thank you. So I will tell you that one of my things about podcasting was that I didn't have to show my face anywhere. However, if there is a visual aspect of this podcast that you would like to see, I can be amenable to it. I don't think I'm going to do it right now. Um, no, but no. not like this. Not. We have professional photos actually coming up pretty soon. So maybe you and I'll sneak off on the day of professional photos if you're on campus or if we're both on campus and we'll do a selfie or something like that. I'm more than happy to do that. So we'll get to that. We'll get to that and maybe a, a picture of Amanda's half-knitted shit. And my dog who ate all that butter and probably the trampoline at your house, maybe. Oh my gosh. Yeah. All these visual gags that we've done and the print behind me um, from Tiffany's. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, yeah. And I will link where you can get it because it's certainly not original. You didn't Actually, paint that yourself. <laughs> I didn't even print it out myself. <laughs> I framed it myself. That is so proud of you. That's a Walmart frame, damn it. I did it myself. That is as DIY as I get in this house. It's not even like a frame where you take it apart with a a screwdriver. It's one of those that sliding your fingernail. (laughs) That is correct. And you have to do it right, otherwise you get too much glare. Anyway, absolutely love five stars from Brem2345. Searching for Desperate Housewives rewatch podcast, and I came across this one. I absolutely love these ladies. It's so fun listening to Amanda talk about 
PNW because I am from Oregon to Go Ducks. I know you're from Oregon State. Ew, Go Ducks! Ew. <laughs> oh. I'm glad I have to read this because I have no idea about okay. your rivalries or any of your, your things. Really fast, really fast. Okay. So to add okay. insult to injury with the Oregon Ducks, where I got my master's from, Concordia University in Northwest Portland, yes. is or sorry, Northeast Portland, no longer exists because of some tomfoolery that happened. So guess who their campus was bought by? The University of Oregon. So I was going to say Oregon because that makes sense. In the yeah, narrative. sad. Okay. I would love to know where in the Pacific Northwest you are from, where in Oregon you're from, just because I, I love a good fellow Oregonian. So anyway, mm-hmm. go on. I know you went to Oregon State, but I'll forgive you, LOL. Great conversation and insight. I haven't rewatched it in a hot minute, but I feel like I'm watching the episodes while listening. I can visualize the scene so well. Thank you, and please keep going season after season. My only criticism is the sound is inconsistent on listening back-to-back episodes. I don't mind the background noise. The only thing is every once in a while I have to turn off the sound to see if it's my kids because it's my kid in the background. My apologies. It feels like we are all three friends on a call and I enjoy that. We have the same taste in shows. Thank you both so much. That one in terms of that it feels like we're all just three people in a room, that might be the best compliment I've ever gotten because that is completely what Amanda and I envisioned Mm -hmm. is that we're just two friends knocking out a show from 2004 and deconstructing it in 2022. I don't even know what year it is anymore. 2022. You got it. Yes. That might be. Yeah. That uh, when your vision finally comes to fruition, that's really, that's really cool. Thank you so much. Yes. And today's um, inconsistent sound is due to the fact that my microphone (laughs) is in my office at work that I've not been at for a week because of a COVID exposure. So apologies for the inconsistent sound that you will be receiving for this specific episode. Well, and we didn't start employing a producer until later on. We didn't start sending it to aftermarket for a couple. I don't even remember what our first episode was. If I go back and I listen, I'm sure I could figure it out. But we've actually enjoyed the ability to work with somebody else to take out some of the dead space and things like that. So yeah, we just didn't know what we were doing. That's that's kind of the, the thing about podcasting, especially in the first, I would say, 25 episodes, is that you're always just finding your footing and you get better at things. And so hopefully the most recent episode is better than the first episode you did, if you're doing it right, right? Agree, agree. Building the plane as we're flying it, kind of. Do you want to talk about an episode at all today? This specific episode? Maybe. I mean, sure. Sure. Okay. Do you want to take us, take us to a summary? So we are kind of working in some different spaces in this episode. We've got a little bit of the Lynette and Mrs. McCluskey friendship, frenemy ship. I'm not really sure what to call it. I mean, it's a friendship. Like, let's be real. It's a, it's a friendship between two super prickly people. We also have a little bit of illumination on the Deirdre, the search for Deirdre. And we've got some developments in the Brie and Rex and Andrew situation. I'm not really sure where Danielle has been or is or whatever, but we have some developments there. We still have Susan's mom shaking up the joint with some things that she's doing. And then we have Gabby and Carlos kind of working on the terms of their relationship. So lots of different things happening across the board. And I'm super excited to talk about it. Awesome. Thank you. So in the cold open, we have Lynette daydreaming about Mrs. McCluskey dying so that a Swedish family with twin daughters can move in and marry her twin sons in an elaborate wedding the Scavos don't have to pay for. Quick question. Why do they have to be Swedish so that the kids will be like their children will be blonde? Like where, where are we coming up with specifically Swedish? 
is it a blonde, blue-eyed, this is what happiness looks like in suburbia, that it's a really homogenous Yeah, aesthetic. maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, I don't know whether or not Lynette would be okay with, you know, brunettes or brown or brown eyes or anything as long as they're willing to pay for the wedding. Right. It seemed like that was a big piece of her fantasy was not having to pay for a wedding. Fair enough. And they had to be twins. It couldn't just be, I don't know. It would just work out so much better if it's within her vision. Her kids are have brown hair, right? I feel like they have brown hair. The one is the one still bald from the gum. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, because it's only I would say it takes about a month. Whenever I've seen men in my life have shaved their heads, I feel like I start seeing their hair out of like a like I don't know a grain of sand by the end of the month. So yeah, okay. I would say I would say he's still. In terms of are you bald or do you have hair, we would still be on the spectrum, the closer to the the end of the spectrum where you're bald. Okay. A high, we've got some sort of high and tight going on with the hair, like not, not floppy bangs yet. Mrs. McCluskey doesn't like the trash cans or the color of Lynette's house. Mrs. McCluskey then falls to the ground and Lynette calls 911. And Mrs. McCluskey asks her to please come with her. She doesn't want to be alone. And Lynette assures Mrs. McCluskey that she will not die. And in the narration, we hear that this is because some dreams are just too beautiful to come true. Oh, Lynette. Cold, cold, cold in that cold opening. So at the same time, she didn't let her die. She didn't, she didn't let her die. Her. And I want to circle back to the fact that Mrs. McCluskey is so pissed at Lynette that she's literally come to take her garbage cans. Yes. I don't like taking my own garbage cans up to my house. Yes. I don't know that I would care enough if my neighbor across the street's garbage cans were out. I don't know that I would go and be like, no garbage cans for you and rip them away. Because then you have to store them at your own house. Like, what what is that doing for you? I have absolutely no use for more garbage cans. Um, and I wouldn't take something that doesn't belong to me anyway. But I guess the, the other part that you pulled on is I couldn't care less. Honestly, because my neighbors are so diligent, I guess I would worry if theirs are still out on Tuesday when our garbage is on Friday that something has happened to them. And I would yeah. try to do a mental note like, have I seen that person in their car lately? Like, Maybe I would be more concerned from a safety perspective, but I couldn't care less that, you know, when I wake up on Sunday morning that I still see garbage cans, but I don't because man, these people have their lives figured out. That's awesome. Um, (laughs) Also side note, I like the color of Lynette's house and there was a person that I was friends with in college that I actually had to unfriend from social media because she was going on a rant about somebody in her neighborhood painting their house a color that they should have had to ask the HOA about and they should have consulted her because she was a design. She had a degree in design. So she like, she went on this literal tirade on Facebook about the color of her neighbor's house. And I like, I just don't have this. I don't have a space for somebody being that angry about the color of somebody's house. But also, it was a good. It's a nice green. It's a. It's a nice bright grassy green with like crisp white trim. How are you going to be mad at that house? You know what? Taste is subjective and, and different things. But also, I guess I have to interject with HOAs are among the most un-American thing I've ever heard of in my whole life. From a culture that is so protective of you can't take away my rights. I find it so ironic because 
the HOA can say this. Okay, I guess I will only use my own situation. I have an axe to grind. We're not allowed to have an above ground pool in my neighborhood. I think it's the most ridiculous thought ever. And when I asked about it, it was, well, because they're eyesores when people don't take care of them. You know what else is an eyesore when you don't take care of it? I'm sure I've already said this. A yard. A yard. Well, that, okay, everything, right? But also an in-ground pool. We're allowed to have in-ground pools. So as long as you have between fifty dollars and $100,000 laying around, you know, have at oh, it. Yeah. But it, I mean, I find that problematic that you own something, you own a piece of property, and you're told what you can and cannot do because other people might find it aesthetically displeasing. Man, have you seen me go out to get those garbage cans? Dogs will howl at the lack of my aesthetic pleasingness can you just ban me because I'm too ugly to live here? I don't know what to say about that. You can move to my neighborhood because we don't have an HOA anymore. And it's the wild, wild last year. Like you can drive your four wheeler <laughs> through somebody's yard and it's not a big deal. So if you really want to put in an above ground pool, there's a lot across the street from me, or I could sell you a lot next to me that I own. And, and you can have several above ground pools. To your heart's delight. I will put that, uh, we will circle back to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the meantime, right, Mary Alice comes on after the jump and says, life is a journey, one that is much better traveled with a companion by our side. But sometimes we lose our companions along the way and then the journey becomes unbearable. Okay, pause really fast. Okay. One of the reasons that Lynette gave McCluskey for not being able to go in the ambulance was she had a roast in the freezer. Did you catch that? <laughs> no roast in the freezer. She said, I have, I have a roast. In the freezer, like as yeah. she's at the door of the ambulance and McCluskey's begging her to come along. I just needed to say it because it was so ridiculously Lynette. So I have a couch in my living room. I really got to get back to it. Yeah, exactly. It was exactly that. Okay. We have a major realization that the mm-hmm. body in the toy chest was, dun, 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 dun. was Deirdre because we cut to Noah and Mike in a cemetery And Noah shares with Mike that they finally found Deirdre. She was jammed into a toy chest. He's been trying to find out what happened to her for 15 years and she's been dead the whole time. So, okay. Shock the world, like shock the world on that episode. So was she the DCFS worker that came to the house? So if we're connecting what happened in this episode to the last episode, right? We had the police coming to Paul Young and Zach and saying that they found a body and it was female in the toy chest. Mm -hmm. And when Zach questions Paul about it in private, he said, I told you someone, a private investigator, came to take you away. I just forgot to tell you that they were a woman. And we talked about the benevolent sexism of Zach just assuming that a private investigator would be a man. Yeah. and they say we and we talked about they or uh, Paul Young stops just short of saying and we chopped her up and put her in your toy chest and um, right. disposed of the body. So you said DCFS worker. I don't feel like I've ever heard DCFS. All no, I, it was all private I, investigator. Okay. I just Got had it. forgotten. So thank you for that correction. But yes, yes, that is what is coalescing between the two episodes. Okay, I believe as a viewer, that's what I'm supposed to put together. Okay, okay, so. She was identified from her dental records and Noah Mm -hmm. says he's out there looking at tombstones, which Mm -hmm. is that what we do? We just, we go to a graveyard and check out tombstones when we're shopping for how we're going to bury our loved ones. Like that just was so sad. And Mm -hmm. I, I was struck by that. And I'm, it's, this is such a sad way to find out that the person they've been looking for for 15 years is dead now. Yes. 
but I love for him that he finally knows and can like start processing actual instead of what if. Not, I think that sounds wrong to say that way. It's no. I love for I love that for him is the wrong verbiage, but like now he will have the ability to process what actually happened instead of continuing to search for her fruitlessly. And he's like close, like he's ill, right? So yeah, now he can spend some time more like truly mourning specifically instead of spending the last however many months of his life on a wild goose chase. Although like what's worse though, like thinking that she could still be out there until he dies or knowing that she like knowing and being able to bury her and have like a proper, I don't know what's worse. I think all of that is unpacked based on our lens. And for, Mm -hmm. it sounds like for you and for me, one of the things that we work really hard to do is to stop ourselves from the what ifs and the worst case scenario and the I'm already 20 years in the future telling the story of how my life fell apart, Mm -hmm. that we try to slow down the moment and deal with the moment Mm -hmm. instead of what if, what if, what if, what if, because it just becomes a pool of craziness. And Mm -hmm. that's what I think I connected to that too, but it sounded like you really latched on to, okay, it's awful that I've spent the last 15 years wondering what if, what if, what if, but now I can put it in a smaller box and I can start to work through some of it as opposed to I'm working through 100 of it. There's one box now that I can, I can work through instead of a hundred boxes. And that is less overwhelming. It's still definitely worst case scenario finding, I mean, I'm speaking from from speculation and a place of privilege where I have never had to deal with something this horrendous and horrific, but I just, yeah, yeah, I guess I don't know. I can't speak from any sort of experience, even close to this to know what the right thing is to say. And so the next thing that he wants to unpack is that he wants Mike to talk to Sullivan, a cop that he paid off. And that Sullivan can give him leads that Mike can then use to find out who killed Deirdre. So it's now, yes, I know what happened to my daughter. She is dead. I'm not done because I don't know who did it. So that's the next step. So it's like taking what this, happened. like you were saying, taking this whole pool and like now we're laser focusing and we can go in one direction on it. Right. And you're right. He doesn't have a lot of time. Although they he didn't mention anything related to his ticking clock. In this episode. Nope. So, nope. yeah. They're expecting us to remember those things. And that is a lot harder to think about. This isn't a show you binge. It's not 2022 where you just watch them all in one drop or, uh-huh. you know, or you rewatch it. Well, I mean, I guess if you have it taped yeah. or whatever. Were but we still taping actually, then? Or did we, we had DVR then, right? Actually, it was a really weird time. We didn't have DVR yet, to my knowledge, or at least people had TiVo, but I felt like those were incredibly <laughs> wealthy people or celebrities had TiVo. But 2004, 2005 is actually this blackout time. It was when we had DVD players already, but DVD writable was like incredibly expensive. You had to buy a much bigger set. It wasn't something that everybody did. So you just did not. Yeah, it was after VHS for the most part. Some people still had them, but not many. Mm -hmm. And pre-DVR and DVD writers were available, but they I don't know anybody who had one. I only knew about DVD writables in your computer drive if you were like yes. doing something that way. Like I don't I don't know and about it from screamed. a recording television standpoint. Yeah, and it wasn't like you could just go to abc.com and watch the last episode or anything like that. So again, it was a serial in which if you missed something, you had to rely on the last time on Desperate Housewives and mm-hmm. context clues to catch you up. And you weren't gonna see a rerun of that until off season. So craziness, yeah. but yeah. 
Want to take us to Camp Hennessy? Yeah, we're at Camp Hennessy and we have Brie and Rex talking about needing to take Andrew home. So Brie is like, we have to get him out of here. And Rex is like, what's a couple weeks going to hurt or whatever. And Brie's like, well, now that we know that he's gay, we don't want him around a bunch of boys, which, okay, Brie. So just because you love men means that you can't be trusted to be around a large number of them. Like, I hate the picture that this presents where like, just because her kid is gay, he's going to not be able to control him. Like that means he's automatically attracted to every male on the planet. And he's going to just like screw his way through his last few weeks at Camp Hennessy. Like that is not, yeah, I don't know. I didn't like that. So, but they have the conversation about him leaving and Brie gives him a hug and says, Andrew, I would love you even if you were a murderer. Um, Mm. He, he definitely is kind of a murderer. I mean, vehicular manslaughter. Right. Right. <laughs> so you're right. I mean, at least you can prove that Brie is not, that's not hyperbole. I, she does love him, even though he's a murderer. Mm-hmm. And we get a picture later on in this episode of how desperately she loves him, but it's so like controlling and misguided the way that she is showing her love for her son. Yes, I agree. Later, a little bit that's eh, not they're not on Wisteria Lane. They're far away because it, it's hours away that they drove. So over on Wisteria Lane, the ice cream truck is taking way too long because Sophie Bremer, Susan's mother, who is still visiting, is flirting with the ice cream man. I'm wondering, is Sophie the warning of what will happen to Susan and Julie if Susan isn't careful? Yes. Is she is she a cautionary tale? Yes, although I think it will be a different thing that Julie is irritated with Susan for. Like, I don't see Susan doing the same things that Sophie's doing that irritates Susan. But yes, this scene was gross. And I think that you and I, having worked with children, both know that these children waiting in line for the ice cream man would not be patient and smiling while this woman is flirting with the ice cream man and they're waiting to get their ice cream sandwich and their bomb pop and whatever SpongeBob ice cream pop, whatever weirdness they're waiting to get. Like this would be mayhem. Yes. If somebody was taking more than three minutes waiting for, unless these Wisteria Lane kids are just all different, but like imagine the Scavo kids waiting in line. That's exactly it. They can't possibly be different because the Scavo boys, they're your least common denominator right there. Right. Right. And the girl with the bike, the girl, the girl that spies on Gabby with the bike, her too. Yes. Yeah, no kidding. Why don't we have the anarchy that we would see in real life and or definitely also in this idyllic place, because we've already seen those those children, I was going to say students, because I worked so hard to not call them kids. I worked so hard to not call them children, even though they are that they're students, they are learners. But yes, I agree completely. And again, representation in the writer's room, who, who, who's ever seen a child. (laughs) And also you've worked, I'm sure if you have children on set, you have a child wrangler there popularized by Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen. Uh, You have a kid wrangler there who's going to work with children and be particularly good at working with children. And so that person's opinion should be taken into account when you're doing anything related to kids. So Sophie makes a comment about Susan, let's go out. Or she calls her Susie, right? Susie, let's go out. We can get some hot guys. Ew. Oh gosh. I wouldn't say that to my friend. Like, let's go out. We can score some hot guys. Oh my what? God. Yeah, you're right. It's so gross. It's so gross. I like, have the heebie-jeebies. You can't, I don't know if you could hear that through the sound, but I just like my whole I heard, body. Here's what I heard. I heard it. it out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, that is absolutely the sound and visual that yeah. you should be <laughs> getting from that. Ugh. 
All right. So Karen comes to Lynette's house to say that she took too much of her arthritis medication and gives Lynette a lamp to thank her. So we have an explanation for why Karen McCluskey, you know, just collapses in the middle of the road and hopefully that it won't reoccur. And a genuine gesture, right, Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. repay her for her kindness of not letting her die in the street um, by giving her a lamp. I feel that Karen McCluskey feels that she doesn't have a whole lot to offer. Like, sure. You know, so here's, here's the most precious thing that I have in my house that I'm going to give to you because I'm not, I want to give you something to say thank you and show you that your, that gesture was important to me, but I don't, I don't really know what else to give you. So here's this lamp. Like, and I think that that might be a, yeah. And I think that that might be also a marker of different generations, right? Is that, we don't think like I think of that as regifting. I'm not giving you something from my house. Um, if I'm going to buy you a gift, it's going to be a brand new gift that is yours. And I think that that's somewhat generational because other generations would give you something that was meaningful to their family and antique, and then you know you got antiquing and things like that. And the, every you know piece in your house that's curated because it has a story, as opposed to I saw that at Target and I wanted it. So right. I think I think that there's more behind that gesture that is generational that maybe I didn't understand in 2004 because I think don't give me something that's from your house like if you unless like, it's something that I've been coveting unless it's something where every I time I come to your house I'm like oh I love that plant I love that blah whatever like but I would just buy you the same of that yeah if that's really what you like I would buy it so that it's new and yours but that might also be indicative of my problem with letting. Yeah, that might be indicative of a different generational and or personal issue. But So after she hands her this lamp, Lynette's kind of like, okay, bye. And she, Miss McCluskey just kind of barrels through and goes in deep right away with the skin tag talk. Right? Like right away, she's talking about the skin, her skin tags and, and how they're problematic. And I mean, skin tags are real and everybody, everybody gets them. But like, mm-hmm. I don't go talking to people about it. Like... Well, and I feel like there's a little bit more buildup to I have this growth on my skin than, I don't know, they're skipping so many steps here because, yeah, you saved my life. But before that, we were kind of sworn enemies. And now we're trying to, like, she's trying to forge this bond or force, honestly, this bond that isn't... It's not happening organically or naturally, but no. it, I mean, it's also indicative of living alone and not liking it, but you say you like it so that nobody feels sorry for you. Right. You know, it's tough. Like right. Let's go over to the Solis house. Um, Gabby will not let Carlos in the bed unless he tears up the post-nup, which if we remember back to the post-nup, him trying to get her to sign it was really uncomfortable and just a really bad indicator of some physicality that wasn't working well in that home. Carlos says he'll turn off Gabby's credit cards. Gabby threatens to kill him if he ever hurts her again. And Carlos says he will kill her if she leaves him for another man. So um, my first question is, do they not have a guest bedroom in that mansion? There are at least one, two, three. There are at least three bedrooms upstairs. Right. So I don't know why they were, why, I don't know. It just seemed like he was going to sleep on the couch, right? Yeah, I agree. Yeah. 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 I so agree. I was like, what? You're in a mansion. I'm sure you have a, you know, a nice bed in a guest bedroom somewhere that your mom used to come stay in, which maybe he doesn't want to stay in the same bedroom. Oh, absolutely. Because, you know, so, you know, he's really struggling with it's the one way this post up is the one way that he knows that she'll be there when he gets back from jail. But like, 
that's not true love. That's trapping somebody. That's trapping a bird in a gilded cage and their threats to each other. Like it's just, I'm not sure if he loves her or if he's obsessed with her the way that he's talking, but saying like, if basically if I can't have you, nobody can have you like that's super problematic. And it continues to, again, I don't know how to read this any other way because I know how their relationship ends up, but it's really hard for me to take all of this in in 2022 because on either side, if one partner says, I'm going to kill you if, it means they're going to kill you. Yeah. It's just a matter of time. I don't believe for a second that it can go any other way because people will kill you who won't, who who don't just come out and say it, I suppose. And it just, it's, oh, it's so bad. It's also not, I don't want to miss the opportunity to say the Carlos turning off her credit card. I think in 2004, we're supposed to see that as just a marker of uh, her materialism. Like, well, have fun shopping for your exotic you know, fashion without your credit card. But it's a system of survival also that is uh, a marker of abuse is the economic piece of mm-hmm. this is like, well, you're not going to eat if I don't want you to eat because you don't have a job to buy food. I mean, right. it, and again, coming from a place of not knowing where my next meal is coming from at certain points in my life. It's just grating. Like it's just real triggering there. On top of the fact that then she says she's going to kill him. He says he's going to kill her. There's just, oh, there's so much going on there. And I just, I really need them in therapy and away from one another. Yes, yes, and yes. So Gabby, of course, mm -hmm. goes where she will go every time Mm -hmm. to John's. And he is just kissing on her and loving on her. And she is like so preoccupied saying she feels trapped without a plan B. And John's like, well, let me be your plan B. Here, I'll give you your credit card or my credit card. And so then she's like, really? And like starts loving back on him again. And they're sitting on that couch that I can smell every time I see it. I just understand. I bet you can. You know yeah, the smell. I do of dude. Oh god. Yeah, of, of multiple dude house. and beer and sweat and bodily fluid. Funk. Yeah. Yeah. And she Ooh. tells John, "Stop pretending we have a future." So she's saying the only reason she's staying with Carlos is because of the money, and now the only reason she's showing any sort of interest in John is because he's offering up his money. Like I don't know. He tells her he's getting really close to getting the contract on the driving range, which. Pretty sure driving ranges have their own mower that happens there. Like every golf course I've been on has it, like they do that in house. Maintain their own. Mm-hmm. Contract out, but you know, who knows in Eagle State or wherever we are. Um, Correct. What they're doing for that. But I don't know. Okay. If, if I'm John, I'm kind of at some point also feeling like she's telling me I'm not enough. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Makes me sad for both of them, I guess. Over the course of this scene too, and again, it might just be how I grew up and that money, like I knew how money worked and it would not have occurred to me that John's credit limit would be high enough to buy one purse that that Gabby would want, right. let alone, oh, answer to my problems right here. So, I mean, I, I guess I had other questions, but maybe that's a marker of Gabby's privilege is that she doesn't even think about how the sausage gets made, so to speak. So Karen comes back to Lynette's house, arriving with avocados and wants to make guacamole. Guacamole. Um, she calls it guacamole. Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Because she says, your family seems like the type that would eat guacamole. 
I don't know why I didn't clock that, but that's a weird way to say that. Have you ever heard somebody call it guacamole? No. Okay. Like whack-a-mole, but guacamole? Yeah, a little bit. And I'm like, like, is that the phonetic spelling? And again, not it's people that I know for a fact speak English as their first language. So it just, you know, I know that you pronounce the E in guacamole. Like, so nonetheless. Fun, fun yeah. side story. So we live in Illinois where there's oh. this restaurant called Portillo's for those oh, of yes. you that are not from Illinois. And oh, yes. Portillo's is famous for like their Italian beef sandwiches, their Chicago style hot dogs, and their chocolate cake shakes, which are off the charts. So my dad lives in San Diego and he comes to see me. So San Diego, there's a large Spanish speaking population because you're so close to the border. So many Mexican restaurants. So my dad comes to Portillo's with me, like the first time he ever visited me in Illinois and he wanted to get a hot dog and he it's listed as like the Portillo's hot dog or something. So he's like, can I order a Portillo's hot dog? Because the double L he was saying it like you would for like a, a word, word in your you know, that's like a tortilla. Tortilla. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So my dad, I, I laugh every time. And I told at one point in time, I told my Spanish speakers that I was teaching about that and they just died laughing. They were like, that's uh, perfect. So And horrific at the same time. Like, I know. I was next to him. I'm like, dad, it's Portillo. Portillo. You don't. Well, they did it wrong. <laughs> He's right. They're wrong. <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know. So. Oh, that was good. With that, it's, well, that's not, you know, thank you so much for, you know, avocados, but, you know, we're not going to hang out. And she says, I'm on my way to do some errands. And Karen says, oh, I'll go with you running your errands. And it's, you know, not really. Like, she's just not interested in in spending more time with her. But you have Karen saying, oh, you can't spend two minutes with me, but you feel fine taking my lamp. That might be, I just hate that crap. I just hate it. If you give a gift, you give it. I don't care what you do with it after this. Amanda, you have me. I will sign it in my own blood. If I buy you something and I don't know, if I buy you a sweater and you use it, you cut it up and make rags out of it, I could not care less. It is yours to do with what you please. I just cannot, I cannot understand people who don't, who don't love the way I, I use a gift that they gave me or that then use it, use the fact that they gave me a gift to establish that they could treat me however they want, or I should do something for them in return. A gift is a gift. It's given freely. Yeah. I think it was less about the how she was using the lamp and more about the quid pro quo of the like, I gave you this. Now you're indebted to me. Like, yes. And honestly, when I was trying to go run some errands, I don't want people tagging along with me when I'm out going to Target to get dog food. Like I want to get in, get out, get home, whatever. And also our friend Lynette gets how many minutes to herself? Like who is wrangling all her kids at this time? Right. Honest question. So Mrs. McCluskey, having been alone all the time, maybe isn't thinking about it through the lens of, oh, this woman probably wants some GD peace and quiet. Mm -hmm. Um, But Lynette didn't say she didn't ever want to spend any time with her. It was just not right then. And and McCluskey's like, well, you can't spend two minutes with me right now. Like I need your attention right this very second. Like that's that I feel is how Lynette's whole life is where everybody's needs have to be met right this second. And I don't know. I think when you have a family, you're probably committed to like, well, that's the way it is in my family. So I have to do it. But anybody who's outside of that family obligation, if they're going to come in with that same obligation, that's probably going to be the first relationship that's cut out of your life. If it's dragging on you the same way that the other things that are bringing you down are dragging on you. Like if it's not making you happy, then it's not it's not in a, a relationship you're going to add into your life and, and devote time to. Because our friend Lynette already is limited on time. 
And I think we've said that before, right? Is that if somebody makes a request and it's not a heck yes to me, it's an immediate heck no, because I just don't have enough space in my life for things that are, you know, there are already things that are obligatory going to the doctor once a year and going to the dentist twice a year and all of these things that are so obligatory that if I can eliminate something that is not obligatory and or toxic and, and draw, take, you know, takes from my cup in an unreasonable way, then that's got to go. I love that you pointed that out. That was great. Yeah. So Lynette feels like a big shithead and hands her back the lamp. And that was a really ugly and sad exchange, I thought. Yeah, I agree. So let's go somewhere more fun. Where, where can we go that's more fun? Um, so Susan walks downstairs in her shirt and undies, you know, like you do. I'm sorry. If you're in my house, then apparently I, you know, it's my house and I can walk around the way I want to. There's a reason I got a ring doorbell and a camera over my garage. I don't have to be seen by anybody I don't want to be seen by. So yeah. you're in your own house. She has every right to walk downstairs in her shirt and undies, but she finds that her mother is entertaining a gentleman caller. And man. Oof, it's just this this scene got me real pissy. Like, like it's my house. Stop it. it. He's my guest and he leads when I say so. Like, Susan, now is the right time to be assertive and say, Mom, I'm happy to pay half of a hotel for you, but I need you to get the F out of my house. Like you like it's quarter to one. Maybe I haven't lived this because my mother <laughs> would never do something like this. But if I am staying with my daughter someday, I don't invite people over to her house because it's not my house. It's just not. Right, right. It doesn't make any sense to me. Does this guy not have anywhere to go? I mean, it, first of all, it's an unsafe situation. In my opinion, Sophie, is like this close to getting hacked up. But yeah, she's going to be a skin suit if she doesn't watch her actions. My frustration, it always seems to come back to this level of entitlement that Sophie seems to have because she brought Susan into the world. And right. having a child who's eight years old, I feel like there's just no way that I would ever feel entitled to things that are hers or things that are spaces that are hers. You know, it just, it wouldn't occur to me. So I'm just, I'm struggling with, I I struggle with. It's a relationship of unhealthy boundaries, which we see Susan has unhealthy boundaries with Julie also. But um, side Mm -hmm. note, Tim said that they, Sophie's very limber. They were drinking dirty Mm -hmm. volcanoes and dancing. So I want you to know what's in a dirty volcano. It is an actual drink. I looked it up. A dirty volcano is cranberry juice and then one ounce each of light rum, dark rum, sweet and sour, and vodka. And you can add a splash of amaretto or triple sec. Okay. So basically what I have, I, I what I've heard in there, and you said splash, but I heard three ounces and a shot, one, two, three is what? One and a, one and a half, one and a quarter? It's four ounces because it's light rum, dark rum. Or are you talking about how much alcohol is in it? Like if, if you just order a mixed drink typically anywhere, it's one shot, which is usually an ounce and a half. So I've heard, so yeah. now you've said four ounces. Light rum, dark rum, sweet and sour, which is just a mixer. Yeah. And vodka. So that's three ounces of alcohol plus if you add a splash of amaretto or triple sec, which... So at least a double. Is, yeah. It's a double. It sounds... Yeah, triple sec is a liqueur, so there's there's something in it. Just like uh, Blue Caraco and Contrio when you make a Cosmo. So, I mean, it's a liqueur. It's just not vodka. Right, you know? right. So, like, right. I think of it as, like, 30 proof, like, pucker. 
or something terrible. <laughs> I know. Take you back to college right there. Oh. <laughs> Anything that is the color of cleaning fluid should not be consumed socially. Unless so, it's from I mean, a garbage can. Unless it's I mean, from a garbage can and you are at a fraternity party. Oh, you never had like jungle juice yeah. from a garbage can? So most of the ones I went to, they were in a Gatorade thing, but they never clean the Gatorade thing. So what does it matter? It's all for it. Like it might as well be the bottom of a garbage can. I feel like that is why, I don't know. You know how people say like farm kids don't get as sick because they eat dirt all the time or whatever. I feel yes. like, I feel like my immune system is like, I feel like my mind and my soul are not the only things that were enriched when I was in college. I feel like yeah. my immune system also was because I never thought about the fact that they didn't clean out the garbage cans. Okay. <laughs> It was clean when they bought it five years ago. And no, it wasn't. It was covered in formaldehyde. Have you not seen Breaking Bad? But alcohol will kill formaldehyde. Come on. Okay. Yeah, sure. You know what? Yeah. That's right. And everybody else's spit because sometimes somebody would be like. Stick their don't... face in it to be the tough well, guy. Nah. Oh, oh, God. That too. But also like my friend who's like, I don't have $5. And God knows I didn't have $5 either. I'm like, sure, you can share my cup. Are you Freaking kidding! All the things like, oh my gosh, stop it! I know, I know. Everything needs to be like single serve, individual serving from a can now, dude. I I guess maybe COVID has changed some of that, but I mean, probably not. Probably not in some spaces. In some spaces, I bet you they're still drinking juice out of jungle juice out of a garbage can. We had one one fraternity that made this stuff called Purple Jesus. I don't know what it was, but it was really good. Okay, well now we've (laughs) gone down a rabbit hole. Yeah. Um, this one's going to be offensive. I might have to bleep it out. I'm not sure. So we'll we'll think about it. So here okay. it is for you. I went to one party where they were making shots and they had a different name for the shot depending on whether you were a girl or a guy. Oh, sure. If you were a girl, they called the shot pineapple upside down cake. Okay. If you were a – and I guess I should tell you what's in it. Vanilla schnapps pineapple juice, and a dash of grenadine, okay? okay? So when you look at it, it's a layered shot, and it really oh. kind of does because, like, the white will go to the bottom, then mm-hmm. the yellow will get on top, and then the – oh, sorry, the red goes to the bottom, and then you have the white and then the pineapple. I believe that's the order because the, re- the what's important is that you know that the red is at the bottom, okay? okay. Pineapple upside-down cake if you're a girl. Do you know the rest of the story? No. Okay. The point was that an incredibly strong drink, every drink that she's having is already a double. Right. And that was where I wanted to go with that five minutes ago. (laughs) Sorry. Oh, my gosh. I feel like I led us down that path. So, I mean, (sighs) the moral of the story is Susan needs to tell her mom, these are my house, my rules. You don't like it. Get out. That's it. Yeah, I agree. Which I'm sure is easier said than done when you're, you know, your mom who doesn't have a job, leaves Mm -hmm. her Morty and doesn't have anywhere to go. But then made a lot of choices that have created a situation that we're in. So you have some resentment about that because I can't imagine that this is all new behavior for Sophie. I have to imagine that this has been Susan's life forever and it just gets old, man. It just gets old. Yeah. It gets old if it's your roommate, if it's your Mm -hmm. adult, whoever. It just, and Susan kind of seems like she just wants to be at her house and be sad for a little bit right now. Yeah. I agree completely, yeah, I but yeah, I do. And because sulking is actually good for the soul and I will let you sulk sometimes mm-hmm. in a deep throat kind of way. Right. Mike is in a parking garage where he meets Sullivan mm-hmm. and it, 
I mean, it's a, it's a heated exchange, right? How much mm-hmm. does it cost to buy off a homicide detective these days? Fair point for mm-hmm. Mike to, to make that is that you're a homicide detective. You have a job that is incredibly important and you were willing to take a bribe. Now, it does benefit Mike that he was willing to take a bribe because he wants to know what happened to Deirdre too. Deirdre right. was important to him too. However, so for me, it's like mm, more flies with honey. I don't know that I would have picked that knit right then, but fair. It's fair. It's all that is completely true. However, Sullivan hits him with his gun, kicks him twice, and threatens to kill him if any of this gets traced back to him. But he gives him the evidence that he was looking for or the file that he needed. He really roughs Mike up, and like I yeah. cannot. I don't do well watching that kind of like battery in yeah. in shows. I had to kind of hide my eyes for a little bit on that. Mm-hmm. I did think that him telling Sullivan telling Mike to not get any blood on the file was a nice touch. It was a uh, uh, quip, right? Quippy writing. I enjoy quippy writing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we get, uh, I believe, the first time that we see a license plate that says the Eagle State. Yeah, but that's a fake state. I was like, oh, what? Right. What's what state's motto is the Eagle State? And if you Google it, it's a fake state created for this show where Absolutely. the people of Wisteria Lane reside in that state. And again, what is the big, like, okay, here's my take on it. I believe that they wanted this to be somewhat Midwestern, but they weren't willing to pay the people that come and make the fake snow. If you follow the Office Ladies podcast or Breaking, I'm sorry, Better Call Saul, they talked about um, Snow Today, Gone Tomorrow, I think is the company that they uh, that they all use. It's adorable. I think it's an adorable name where they make fake snow for your your filming needs. And I feel like Mark Cherry or whomever was just too cheap uh, to do that. And then you have to do it, you know, every year. So it's mm-hmm. not like you just do it once because we know it doesn't snow here. And mm-hmm. we've talked at nauseum about the flowers that aren't really in bloom and all all sorts of things. So in my opinion, they wanted this to be kind of Midwestern-y because they're always talking about Chicago and New York Mm -hmm. and those would be closer than somewhere where it never snows, right? Yeah. So anyway, nonetheless, and they never talk about beaches and wisteria like grows in these places and not in places that are really hot. Right. So anyway, nonetheless, they just don't want us to know where it is. I don't understand what the big secret is, except that you were too cheap to do snow. There's my line. Yeah. All right. You want to take us over to Gabby? Yeah. So we're we're now with Gabby, who's wearing basically a homecoming dress um, at a restaurant with bags of stuff that she's bought. And she's eating and having a lovely lunch with herself. And the waiter comes over and says that her card has been declined. And she's like, what? I just went shopping. Run it again. And he, what does he say? He ran it five times or something and it doesn't work. (laughs) So she calls John and John's like, yeah, they reported suspicious activity. And so my mom called and asked what was going on. So I panicked and told her it was stolen. And she's, Gabby's like, you gave me your mom's card. And he's like, well, my mom co-signed. And I wanted to be like, Gabby, who do you think you're dating? Remember when you called him and he was in the middle of what, like algebra class or something? Like, Remember when you had to go to his soccer practice to... To talk to him, like, who do you think you're dating? That can't this is a man who can't have a drink with you at a bar, right? So John tells her, like, just return the shoes, and Gabby's like, return the shoes? I can't talk to you when you're being hysterical. That was great. So ever the you know opportunist, she spots a man across the restaurant who's also lunching solo, hmm. and strikes up a conversation with him and. 
he, you know, kind of says to her like, oh, well, I'd love to see you again. And, and she's like, you know, I can't, I'm kind of in a relationship right now. And I'm just trying to be honest. And he's like, that's perfectly okay, Tina. So she says she's trying to be honest, but she gave him a fake name. Like that was perfect. That was perfect. But she goes on a mini shopping spree with her. Like, is he still in high school? He's graduated, right? Do we think he's graduated? We haven't had a graduation ceremony. All we know is that he was turning down his scholarship to college, but that hasn't happened yet because in the timeline, it feels like it's not the end of the school year just yet. Right. But he live. but he has an apartment. At the same time when, yeah, he moved out because he was fighting with his parents or whatever, but he's the same age as, or no, he's not, the, I don't think he's the same age, but he goes to the same school that Andrew goes to. And, oh no, he's the same, same age as Andrew because that was Rex's thing is, you know, a month left of school and he gets expelled for the pot. Right. But give me a break. So it seems like it, as long as we're still in this month, he's got a month to it or something. Or maybe he just graduated. I mean, they don't, don't do know. much with timelines. Joanna Robinson, who is one of my favorite podcasters, is totally right. You follow timelines for a show pre-internet in Twitter, you're asking for trouble. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. So now we keep it honest by complaining. My point was that she's you're going on a mini shopping spree with your high school boyfriend's credit card and you go buy shoes. Like you need shoes so badly that you're going to, you're going to do this. Like what? And what an actual Gabby, like, who are you? I mean, we know this tracks with who she is, but like, it's ridiculous. It just, you had she me continues at high school to be ridiculous. Yeah. 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 Continues to be, all of it is ridiculous. So. Oh gosh. Um, over at the Vanda camps, Brie and Rex, but mostly Brie, have invited Reverend Sykes over to dinner. Reverend Sykes says, your mother tells me that you've started having sexual thoughts for other boys. And Andrew says, I don't really want to talk about my sex life. And Brie says, well, too bad. As if we're not, in, in, again, it's that encroachment that parents are guilty of. And like you said before, from a good place, it's because she loves her son, but we're actually not entitled to our children. And I know they are our children, but we're not entitled to those pieces of them. We're not. Should they choose to share those things or should we need to help? I mean, we certainly have to inform them of how to keep themselves healthy and safe, but Mm -hmm. I'm not actually entitled to that about my child. I'm not. No, and kudos to Andrew for being super appropriate with trying to set boundaries for himself. Right. Like he wasn't he wasn't speaking angrily. He wasn't, you know, he was really like, I don't hate myself. I'm not confused. And the way he was saying it, like I honestly yeah. believe him that yes. he's I, I think he has some some things he ought to reflect on, but mostly he was just kind of saying like this is not for sexuality. Yeah, like he was saying, like, this is who I am. And like the Reverend Sykes goes in before his water's even been poured. Like they trapped him into this conversation. And for him to stay that calm in that conversation, I think was pretty, pretty impressive considering how we, how later on we see how deep seated Andrew's anger actually is. And to Reverend Sykes's credit, Reverend Sykes says, well, if you ever do want to talk, my door is always open. (laughs) And Bree's like, you're going to give up that quickly? As opposed, again, it's kind of like, hey, you want to go on a date? No. Okay, well, if you ever change your mind, let me know. As opposed to, well, you're just going to give up that easily? Yeah, because you have set a boundary and I'm not toxic. I'm not going to cross a boundary with you. And also, I mean, Reverend Sykes probably knows what he's talking about in terms of 
when you try that hard and you just alienate somebody as yeah. opposed to, well, he knows that the door is open as opposed to I chase you down the street and you're never coming to my door again. So, right. you know, and I think that's a lesson for all parents too, is that, you know, we can try the very hardest that we can, but we also have to let go of certain things that we expected or wanted for our children and do so in a way that doesn't alienate them from ever coming to us with a problem. And it's yeah. not that it's not, it's not that it's easy to do to see somebody, you know, doing something that you think is wrong or, you know, like Brie is convinced uh, that he will not go to heaven. And for her, that is the most important thing in the entire world. Right. So. With that being said, right, Brie takes it to another level, as she does, you know, the way you do. If, you know, Reverend Sykes says, if Andrew is happy and she will not let him get another word in edgewise, it's, you know what? Your father is into S&M. He makes me spank him. No wonder you're perverted. Look at who your parents are. I like that she says, look at who your parents are, not look at who your father is. Yes. Like, that yeah. you both have some issues, woman. And and again, it's not that I'm kink shaming Rex. He's pretty comfortable with his issues and he's, it, it is tried to, you know, be open with his partner it has nothing to do with that. He has other issues he needs to address, just like Andrew has other issues to address. His sexuality isn't one of them. The only person who I feel like, as far as this is related, has some serious issues to address is Brie. For sure. Yeah. Also, she used an old German cookbook and made her own bratwurst. So I looked up a recipe for making your own bratwurst. That's like you a were 24 so hour good. process. Can I just can I just applaud the deep dives of Amanda Baum today? I mean, just you're killing it with your deep dives, man. Thank you. Thank you. The one recipe that I found first was like a 24 hour process. Like you have to get sausage casings. Get out of to here. To make your own bratwurst. No. It doesn't hold together on its own. Also, what Some is your thought? Enjoy on- this. I'm not I'm not shaming you either. I just I have no time to I don't know what I'm gonna want to eat tomorrow. Oh, I'm good about making like mm. planning ahead. Okay. But that's just more effort than I'm willing to put. I'll put in some effort on it on a dish, depending on how badly I want to eat it and how much time we're taught, like what day of the week I'm making it like a Sunday. I'll crack down on an eight hour soup on a Sunday, but like in the middle of the week, no. But also she made cabbage, like sauerkraut-ish kind of cabbage. Sweet. I don't know. Can we go back to the bratwurst? So just something, I just want us all to sit in the Freud of that. Okay. Yeah, that's good. That was, I didn't, I didn't. I don't have that. to say more. I just. No, you know. I want to sit no. there. Okay. That's good. That was good. Okay. So where are we going next? Back to Susan's? Yeah. So yeah, I think it's up to you. Yeah. Over at Susan's. Yeah. So we're back at Susan's and she comes home and is like tired. And her mom's like, la 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 la, I've arranged a double date. I'm so excited. And Susan's like, I just want to go to, like, I'm, I'm done. I'm done for the day. I just want to like get in my comfies and be done. And they walk into the house. The date, you crazy? Yeah. They walk into the house and the date's there. So Susan can't backpedal. And it's, I don't even remember what his name is. What was his name? No, I'll have to look at it. I don't know. But he brought peppermint schnapps. And that's what got my note. That's what goes in my notes is, but he brought peppermint schnapps. You lost your damn mind. Here's what I will say to you. Do not show up with peppermint schnapps unless school has been canceled for a snow day. That is it. And you have some hot chocolate waiting. Right. That's it for me. If I, it's like, not I guess that went day, without saying, but yeah. If it's not a snow day, I don't want your peppermint schnapps. That's it. And I don't want a surprise date when I want to, it's dark out, which means it's my bedtime. I don't want a surprise date with my husband. I need time to plan things, yes. let alone awesome. a surprise date with a stranger. 
Right. Right. And my mom, who I'm already like irritated with. Oh my goodness. All right. Over at Lynette's, Lynette is concerned that Mrs. McCluskey has not picked up her package from the front stairs. I mean, again, this is a woman who is incredibly frustrated when your garbage cans are out. So similar to, hmm, I don't really care that your garbage cans are out, but I haven't seen you out in three days and now I'm concerned about your well-being. However... She and Tom get into this conversation and he's like, well, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. And Lynette's like, well, if I'm if I'm wrong and she's okay, I get sucked into a two-hour conversation about bunions. And Tom, if she's damned either way, encourage your wife to do the right thing. Yes. Like, be a human. You know? Or you can do it. Oh, now you're asking a lot. I guess I uh, – Lynette could ask him to do it. Oh, and now I know like, the, that the grating their own cheese thing, that seems so anti-Scavo to me. Mm. That mm-hmm. that while they're having this conversation, they're making dinner. One, he's helping. Two, they're grating their own cheese. Um, do you grate your own cheese? I have grated my own cheese before. Okay. And it definitely melts better and tastes better when you grate it fr- like straight from a block than when you get the bag of shreddy cheese because the shreddy mm-hmm. cheese has like stuff on it to keep it separated and not clumpy. Oh. But I don't. I can't remember the last time I grated my own cheese. No. But do you think that tracks for the Scavo family? No, no. Okay. No, no. Okay. Well, I apologize again that I didn't go that I didn't think it was more important to be focusing on the fact that, yeah, Lynette's concerned that Mrs. McCluskey hasn't picked up her package from the front stairs, but I'm concerned about the continuity of the Scavos grating their own cheese. It just fell out of character, I suppose. It's okay. Okay, thank you. I support it. <laughs> so Gabby struts into her house and Carlos is luxuriating in the in the bathtub and she wants to show off her gorgeous new shoes. First, she stands in front of the TV and is just trying to talk to him. And he's like, get out of the way. I'm watching the game. And then she brags about her shoes and he all of a sudden perks up and is mad about the shoes. And she says, well, I can get what I want if you won't give it to me. Like, Basically, I'm pretty enough that I can, you know, get somebody to do what I want them to do. I think her exact words, right, were, I'm a pretty girl and pretty girls are never lonely. And didn't we have somebody say to Gabby, was it her maid that said to her, like, Mm. all you have going for you is that you're pretty? And she was mad about that, but like, she's totally playing into that here. Right. And that when you're not pretty anymore, that all of these things will go away. Right. Mm. And I'm sure that's a fear. I'm sure that's a fear for Gabby. That if if because if that's what you're basing your currency on, you're right. You better take care of that because you're you're not diversifying your investments. No, and you're basing your staying in an abusive relationship because Mm -hmm. you don't want to be poor. Like Mm -hmm. the depth of her character right now is not making me have a lot of confidence in her. And I will take that with a grain of salt that maybe she is really so insecure about the other currencies that she could develop that she she doesn't think that she could have nice things based on a life that she could live herself, which is interesting because she was a model and I assume she got paid well that, you know, again, maybe there's a shelf life to how much more she has. And, and certainly we've seen that before when she tried to get back into modeling that Fairview doesn't pay as much as Milan. Right. But it, it makes me sad for her that she doesn't see that there's anything else she could cultivate that would allow her to have a good life. Right. Mm. The transactionalness of Gabby, if I think transaction might be her middle name and it's, you know, lots of layers to that one, right? 
Yeah. I, I'll go back to Susan's and Susan, her mom just makes me sick. Everything she does irritates the crap out of me. And it, it's this, this moment where I was saying to myself that I really don't care what she does in her own life, which is not true. I don't want something bad to happen to her, but it's kind of a GTFO out of my house because yeah. it's ruining everything I have for myself. If I'm Susan, it's, you know what, if you're going to do this, I can't, I don't have to support it, but you're an adult, right? She's getting into a car with two guys she barely knows after drinking. And I just don't want this in Susan's life anymore. I don't, I don't want this for Sophie either, but I don't want, I don't want Susan around it. And I don't want Julie around it. It's just, it feels like a generational problem that I don't want repeated. And I'm willing to sacrifice Sophie's safety for Susan and Julie not having to deal with this anymore. When her mom finally gives it to her, like, you are such a crap, you're so crabby. I'm, I'm trying to do everything I can to help you get over this. And Susan says, no, I don't want to get over this. I don't want to just go on to another relationship. I mean, first of all, really, is that really your goal is to just get her into another relationship? You don't know any of these people. This is not a deliberate, you know, in, your intention here is not for her to find lifelong happiness, in my opinion. No. Or, or, and if so, you're going about it all the wrong ways. But yes. when Susan says, I'm just broken, I am devastated because Mike was the one and I don't understand why you don't get that. It's I feel just- like nobody sees Susan. Like nobody sees how truly hurt she really is. Yes. And even if you do, are you willing to sit in the discomfort with her? Because I think that's a marker of friendship that I wasn't aware of for a long time either is let me help you feel better, right? Let's go here and let's go do this and let's go, you know, and I wasn't always aware. I think I would have done it had I had this awareness, but I didn't have this awareness until much later in my life that Mm -hmm. sometimes the only way to support somebody is to just let them sit in the discomfort and Mm -hmm. sit there with them. Like, you're right. This sucks. Let's just sit here and realize that this sucks. And I'll just yeah. I'll just sit here and not try to fix it for you and not try to put a good spin on it and, you know, see the positive in this. Because sometimes you just need to sit in the discomfort. You just need to be sad about it sometimes. Agree. Yeah. That house sounded like a circus and I would have lost my shit. And also 1130, I'm in bed minimum two hours already at that point in time. I'm not getting in a car to go out and have shenanigans with people I don't hardly know drunk on peppermint schnapps. Oh that's a no on six different levels for me. So we can walk away from we can walk away from Susan's house now. And you're gonna walk over to Lynette? Or actually you're gonna walk over to Miss McCleskey's. McCleskey and Lynette lets herself in with Mr. Mullen's spare key. And McCleskey has is sitting in her chair, hasn't taken her arthritis medication. So Lynette realizes that McCleskey didn't get up to open the door because she couldn't. Mm-hmm. And McCleskey says, you know, sometimes it gets better if I just sit here. And and Lynette's like, no, it doesn't. Give me, you know, give me your bottle. Let me or McCluskey asks her before she leaves to just open the bottle and shake some pills out. And Lynette's like, why don't you have, why do you have childproof caps? Tomorrow we're going to go to the pharmacy. We're going to get you the right lids for things. And, you know, McCluskey makes the comment of like, well, you know. Don't do me any favors. Don't do any favors. I don't want to be an obligation. And Lynette's like, half your life is an obligation and now you're mine, which that's fair. But I love how when... (laughs) 
McCluskey is asking her to get the pills out. She's like, well, don't touch it. Last thing I need is a case of pink eye. (laughs) She can't help herself. But that's at least her being her real authentic self. And if they're going to have any sort of relationship, obligatory or not, Mm -hmm. it's not going to work if she's trying to be somebody that she's not. So I love what Lynette says about we're two human beings living on the same piece of earth. We can at least try and help each other out. Like, And then she takes the lamp, which I really love that gesture because she doesn't want the lamp. Right. But she knows that that was Mrs. McCluskey trying to give her a little piece of herself. And so Lynette's like, okay, I'll accept it. I thought that was a really sweet gesture. But then McCluskey's like, don't be late. And Lynette like just turns and looks at her. That was a great scene. I loved it all. I really like what you said about the being the authentic self and being able to uphold your values. And one of Lynette's values is that she doesn't have a lot of time for niceties, but no. neither does no. McCluskey. I mean, so there, no. there are similarities that yes. should work in this, in this relationship. And Lynette also feeling this, you know, the collectivist nature is that, yeah, we are living on the same piece of earth and we should take care of each other. If you're dying in the street, I will call <laughs> the ambulance for you. It doesn't mean that I want to spend all the time in the entire world with you, but this is a need and I'm going to meet it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Over at Bree's house, she's looking at a photo album of Andrew's baby pictures and she tells him that there were complications, um, that his umbilical cord was wrapped around his neck and that Bree told the doctor not to worry about her, that Whatever he had to do, he had to save Andrew. And Bree begs him to go to Reverend Sykes because she's so worried that he won't go into heaven and that she'll be so lonely without him in heaven. And it really is as pure of a moment as Bree can have that I do think that there is an aspect of her personality that would be embarrassed to have a gay son. I think that Mm -hmm. there's an aspect of her uh, personality that makes it feel like a personal failure something that she is not that she set out to do and she didn't do mm-hmm. I, it's ironic because I say in my own life I do not invite chaos into my life this is the frame and I resent almost anything that comes into the frame that I didn't invite in but I don't invite chaos into my life or into my frame however I did choose to have a child and that's chaos you can't even get you can't even wrap your mind around, right? There are ways in which that's not true. I have invited chaos into my life because I've invited people into my life and I've invited having children into my life. And Brie's there too, is that Mm -hmm. Brie, if you wanted to have a controlled life, truly you wouldn't have had children or you're under uh, a very unrealistic expectation of what having children is like based on your own pathology. Nonetheless, there's something moving to me about she would be devastated not to have Andrew in her life, that she truly loves Andrew. Mm -hmm. She might not be aware that she has to love him for who he is and not for what she wants him to be. Yeah. She's, she's missing the point a little bit on that. Yes. So we got Sophie who goes over to try to save the day and knocks on Mike's Mm -hmm. door. And Mike opens up with less facial trauma than I feel like you would actually really have in that brutal, from that brutal of an attack. But that's, you know. He um, still has Mike, to be hot, man. It's 2004. We cannot accept it. The, look, right, the lookism right. is strong with this one. Right. So Sophie tells Mike that Susan still loves him and Mike can't get her out of there fast enough because he's in the middle of reviewing the file with the pictures of the bones and the toy chest. And he has the list of everybody who's purchased that toy chest and he sees Paul Young on there. So this is a plot hole for me because 
He moved onto the street to like investigate somebody, right? Okay. Yes. Somebody so, on the street knows. So he didn't have this information until now. So am I supposed to believe that he's like, it's two different things happening that he's investigating and they just happen to live on the same street? So when you say two different things, he's investigating. Well, like he didn't, did he know that he needed to be investigating Paul Young before finding out that Paul Young was one of the people that owned that toy chest? Okay. So I feel like the things that have made Paul Young suspicious to him come from the multiple different things that Deirdre was seen in this saloon or whatever when her sister was, when Kendra was there. The last place anybody saw your sister was this saloon. So it's not that the last place anybody saw her was Wisteria Lane because who would be able to say that they saw her there? So I feel like I still don't know what it was about Wisteria Lane that he needed to be there for. In terms of Paul Young, I feel like his suspicion about Paul Young came from Paul Young just being shifty. Right. But I just am like, okay, so he's just now finding out that Paul Young bought the chest, but like Paul Young's already on his street and he came to the street to investigate somebody that he knew he wasn't like, he knows that it's someone who's on the street he needs to look for, but like what, I don't know. It just seems like a coincidence. and And it's not that Sullivan knew about Paul Young being on that list because we knew that episodes ago that Paul Young was on that list because Sullivan and his partner were there. Or, well, it was, right. Yeah. And his partner, his partner was with him. were at the manufacturer, mm-hmm. the guy that makes the toy chest and who apparently keeps meticulous records even after 15 right. years. Also, like, I mean, I guess I'm probably like, I've been data mined so much in my life from all the things I bought on Amazon. So like there is a list of all the shit I bought somewhere <laughs> in the world, right. but Again, meticulous, I guess. It's yeah. the only thing I can say about it. And then I guess we leave with yeah. at the church, right? Mm-hmm. Andrew says, Andrew is talking to Reverend Sykes. He did do what Bree said. And he said, I lied to my parents. I'm not really gay. I just wanted to leave the camp. And Reverend Sykes is like, hmm, well, your mother will be sad to find out that you don't believe in God. And Andrew said that when Bree told him she was worried about him not going to heaven, it finally clicked for him that he's going to use this as the way to sever I don't even know if I want to say sever the relationship, but he really, really wants he what it like he wants there to be an explosion. Like yeah. he wants this to really hurt. To um, really so rock her rock. There her it is. The rock, yeah. Like I just I I want to rock her world and I want it to be so epic this cataclysmic event. Yeah, I want to, because he says she, I, that's when I knew that at some point she will stop loving me. And I'm he has gonna, zero shame when he's talking yeah. about how he wants this horrible thing to happen to his parents. Yes. To this person. Yes. Like he's so matter of fact about how he just wants to completely destroy his mom. Like, yeah, he's, it's almost like off the cuff that he's saying it, you know? And so he says he's going to do everything perfectly. He's going to eat his vegetables. He's going to say yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am. And then he's going to do something so awful that it will rock her world. And he will know paradise then because Reverend Sykes and his mother are worried that he won't know paradise and paradise is heaven, apparently. And he's like, oh, no, I will know heaven. I will know paradise. What you're saying is that, you know, what you're saying doesn't appeal to me. But what really appeals to me is getting this better of my mom because she eventually will not love me anymore. 
it makes me wonder how, what is this horrible thing he's going to do? And then this priest now has to keep this secret that he's planning on doing something really horrible. Yeah. And I believe that's the priest penitent confidentiality is actually even stronger than a doctor patient confidentiality. Because I believe in the disclosures that you sign with your therapist, it says that if you have plans to hurt someone, that you can disclose to that person that they're in danger and that they should be careful. I just don't see Reverend Sykes doing this. Mm-mm. So, I mean, and again, it's a it's an abstract concept, I suppose, at this point. It's not, this is what I plan to do on this date. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just so, get ready. I'm going to do something horrible. So, again, the idea that life is better with a companion, that Mary Alice goes into, you know, life is better with a companion, and it's McCluskey happening. It's... Mm-hmm. Which I love that. I love the mm-hmm. Lynette McCluskey relationship. What other relationships? The companionship relationships? Gabby and Carlos, which I hate. Yeah. I don't know who Andrew's companion is, but he's currently winning for biggest shithead for me. Like he's surpassed mm-hmm. Tom Scavo for me for biggest shithead. And I feel I feel bad for him that his mom is not accepting of his of his who he is as a person, but I also feel like his just commitment to creating a false sense of calm so that he can cause just utter devastation. He, it's terrible. And I guess we'll have to see what he yeah. intends to do eventually. But that, that shot of Andrew with, again, we're right. Danielle, nowhere to be seen, yeah, but, um, but Andrew with Brie and Rex and Reverend Sykes seeing them either exiting or yeah. Exiting. exiting and he says yep. it's very inspirational today. And he's just like, man, the things I know again, uh, the, the men of the cloth in this, in this world, the things that they know, and then they have to see this person, and they're like, "Oh, Gabby, seriously? Oh, yeah. Andrew, seriously?" And man, you just—I've been told the same with lawyers too. It's like, man, we go to our graves with some bad secrets. And <laughs> so, with that being said, my reverend friends out there, my uh, people who are in positions where you're getting compassion fatigue, teachers get therapists mm-hmm. that you can trust. Have a circle because, man, it will drag you down. Mm. Yeah. So with that being said, you want to play Two Truths and a Lie, Amanda? Sure. (laughs) Okay. So in this scene, we always try to do it from production. So in this episode, one of these things is a lie. Two of them are true and you're looking for it. So about this episode, Felicity Huffman said, once you're past 50, they say it takes twice twice or three times as long to remember your lines. And Catherine Ooster, who played McCluskey, just blew all those expectations out of the water. Mark Cherry said... A lot of the dialogue in the part where Brie has the preacher talk to Andrew was taken from my own experience when I came out to my mother. She made me go to a counseling session, and when I showed up, I found out it was Christian counseling. Or, Catherine Eustace said, My character gives Felicity Huffman's character so much crap on the set that I actually started feeling bad about it. I would apologize again and again once they yelled cut. What's the lie? I think Mark the Mark Cherry is the lie. No, he did say <gasps> that. Then the... Last one is the lie. You are correct. Oh, that was the first time I even got, I feel like the first time I even got close to stumping you in a couple of these. You've been, your bullshit detector has been like spot on. So I did better this week. Good. Yeah. Actually, Felicity Huffman did say that uh, Catherine Ooster gives her character so much uh, shit during scenes and but she's super nice afterwards, but Catherine Ooster did not say that. So there. Mm. Oh, with that being said, next week we are headed to Fear No More. And do you know, Amanda, we are four episodes away from the end here. That's wild. That is wild. 
Thanks for being on this journey with us, guys. I know it's been <laughs> taking a long time, but... There are people we haven't even reached yet, though, and we'll have an entire season done before some people find us, because we'll do re-releases and all sorts of things. So, uh, until that time, I'm Rachel. And I'm Amanda. And thank you for listening to Noisy Fulfillment. Noisy Fulfillment. Bye! Bye.